0: It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday the 23rd of September. I'm your host Lucy Zelich, and joining me before we get to our bumper list of guests is my co-host coming to you from his home here in Sydney, Nick Sol, aka Zellich, our SBS sports journalist. Welcome to you my friend, how are you?
1: I'm I'm very good. I'm very excited to do this Brady Bunch style uh, show today, but it's great. Look how many guests we've got. I hope we have as many viewers.
0: Yeah, and we're looking forward to um, engaging with our viewers as well. I'm glad you mentioned them there. Welcome to everyone tuning into our live stream today. Keep your questions and your comments coming through. As the show goes on, And Stolich and I will do our very best to get to them. And we do have a massive show lined up for you today. Of course, there's so much going on in Australian football, and we'll start with one of our first guests here, the great Liam Reddy, a.k.a. Rocket, Perth Glory Shotstopper. It's so great to see Liam during what has been a really trying time for the game, notwithstanding the information that's come out from Perth Glory in the last. It's 24 to 48 hours, but tell us how you're holding up.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. But, um, yeah, obviously uh, uh, things have been very turbulent over the past couple of months, but I'm looking forward to, to working with the club and uh, trying to get back to training as soon as possible for an for assault on an Asian Champions League uh, that, that's going to hopefully start in November.
0: Well, we're looking forward to getting more of your thoughts, but we'll go through the rest of our guests. And this girl has uh, really made a mark in Australian women's football. It's fabulous to have her company here. Melbourne City star, Raleigh Dobson. Raleigh, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us, how are you holding up down in Victoria, if that is still where you're placed? Uh, No, so I was lucky.
3: I got out before everything went to a bit of a shamble. Uh, (laughs) So I'm up in Um, So I'm actually holding up pretty good. We're lucky here we get to still play football. Um, So doing okay at the moment, um, but obviously keeping an eye on everything and feeling for a lot of our A-League and W-League players at the moment.
0: As we all are. And um, no one will be feeling more for them, of course, than the players themselves, but also these two. My gosh, they've had to weather some serious storms and coming in off the back of John De De departure and walking into COVID and all of the repercussions that have come outside of that. We're really delighted that we could have the pleasure of the company of PFA Chief Executives, Co-Chief Executives Bo Bush and Kate Gilbo. we'll start with you. How are you holding up, mate? It's been a really tough time. Are you getting any sleep at the moment?
4: Uh, Fortunately, Lucy, yeah, I have still been able to uh, get a decent amount of sleep. I think unlike Raleigh, Kate and I are still trapped down here in Victoria, but thankfully the numbers seem to be going in the right direction. So hopefully we'll be able to resume some sense of normality, but obviously it's an incredibly challenging period for the game um, and we continue to work through that and hopefully we can reach a resolution and get back to enjoying having discussions about things like uh, wrong offside calls um, 40 yard screamers um, and those sort of things in the not too distant future
0: uh, it seems like it was, um, you know, a lifetime ago now, Kate, when you compare the situation that we're in now. Um, we're so used to, in Australian football, debating the semantics of, you know, on-field issues, uh, whether that be the VAR or, you know, if the goal was a goal or not. But um, from your perspective, what's been the most challenging period for you um, when it comes to, you know, your tenure now with the PFA? It's got to be now, right?
5: Yeah, uh, look, as, as Bo um, made amends to there, just, just the challenging period that we are in for the game at the moment. I mean, obviously the financial realities are in towards themselves, but it's now a time to rebuild and, and progress forward. And I think if everyone can align around that sentiment and work towards a recovery solution for the, for the professional leagues and also for the game in light of COVID, um, then that will leave us in a better place.
0: We are hoping for a better place. Um, Rocket, we want to go back to you on this particular subject as well. I touched on the fact that, you know, it's been a really tough period for all of the players since the game went into lockdown in March, but then you agreed to come back, play out the remainder of the season, take a reduced pay packet. Now, off the back of this, we've also seen the news that club owner Tony Sage over at Perth has made the decision to stand down the players. I just want to know from you, from your perspective, just how challenging this has been
2: yeah it's been uh probably the most challenging period of uh in my football career um obviously uh, first to, to to go and live in a hub for six weeks was very challenging being away from family and uh, and the kids uh, you know that was a, a challenging time but you know I think uh you know all the players made the sacrifice to make sure that the game was going to uh, continue to play and obviously to finish the season um, then obviously returning back to perth and and, and being uh, subject to two weeks isolation luckily uh you know, our CEO, Tony Piñata, was able to do that, uh, that we could actually uh, commence that at home. So that was a, a win. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, a little bit disappointed to be put on uh, on JobKeeper now uh, and stood back down. But, uh, you know, we've, we've been having a good dialogue, I suppose, with, with Tony Piñata, our CEO, um, up until uh, Monday night, we had a team Zoom call uh, where we all spoke to him and he was very transparent in, in the negotiations. And you know, we're hoping that uh, over the today and tomorrow and, and potentially Friday that we can all come uh, and speak to Tony uh, individually uh, and, and try to get this uh, pay dispute or, or that's what that's what it is really, uh, you know, under wraps and we can get back to work because, you know, uh, we've got a very, very busy uh, couple of months coming up. You know, we qualify for the Asian Champions League. Uh, unfortunately, we only got to play one game there and there's talk of another hub to be played uh, in November. So we really need to get back to training and... Uh, and get a squad together. So I think at the moment we've only got uh, 11 or 12 contracted players. So it's a it's a very uneasy time at the moment. Uh, but that's you know uh, that's Australian football uh, really uh, at this time. And you know hopefully we can get through this period and and come out bigger and better.
0: Mm. Bo, I want to come to you because the PFA issued a statement yesterday saying the PFA has condemned the decision of the owner of the Perth Glory to lock out its own players during critical negotiations. This is an unlawful action and the PFA will pursue legal action on behalf of the players. Can you talk us through the legalities surrounding this um, and and what potentially um, the Perth Glory owner is facing at this point when it comes to legal action?
4: I think the most challenging part of this course of action that Tony has elected to go down is that, as Liam pointed out, the players have been engaging with the club, have been making some headway there, and that's been occurring across the league, and we're continuing to work on a collective bargaining agreement. I think from our point of view, the players have been working, they've been up until the past week, they've been engaging in work. They still remain willing, ready, willing and able to continue to work. And as such, we believe the stand down is certainly unnecessary. And from in stronger terms is really unlawful. Um, So on the players' instructions, we'll we'll challenge that. And we'll seek to have them reinstated immediately.
0: Kate, from your perspective, I mean, watching this all play out, it's been such a, a difficult time um, for obviously the, the footballers concerned but also the, the players' union. What do you feel some of the greatest misconceptions have been with respect to the to the PFA's involvement in all of these collective bargaining agreement negotiations?
5: Yeah, look, Liz, it's a really good question. And I, I guess the communication and dialogue that's been shared between us and, and the clubs and, in retrospect, the FFA as well is that we all realise that there's a significant financial challenge that the game is ultimately facing and it's, it's how we work together to, to come out of that and to come out of that better and not just from a player's perspective but from the sport as a whole and the way that the clubs had propositioned, I guess, allowing them to, to look at their financial realities wasn't really in context for where the players were at that moment in time. and what we've kind of been mm. agitating towards is is how do we both come at this from a perspective where there's a balance and there's a balance of, of power in reflective of where the players lie in that and clubs as well. And, well, yes, we can impose pay reductions on players, but but is that fair and equal? And how can we approach that conversation where the players are understanding and transparent of the financial realities but also the clubs in that retrospect are of the players' financial realities as well? Mm. Rocket, I want to come to
0: you because I've seen a whole host of commentary in reaction to everything that's been unfolding with respect to the collective bargaining agreement negotiations or lack thereof at this point because it seems as though we've reached an impasse. But things like, oh, the players are greedy. How can they be so out of touch with reality? They don't understand what's going on. Everyone else around the country is taking pay cuts. Why are they any different? What are your views on those comments? Because when we caught up with Wilco um, a few weeks ago, Alex Wilkinson, he said to us that it's quite clear the players understand they have to take a pay cut. But where do you sit on all of this?
2: Yeah, I agree with Wilco. I mean, we're, we're quite clear as a players union and, and players that we need to take a pay cut because, um, you know, we and we have. The last five months, we were, we were, we were on uh, an 83% pay cut. We, we went, went into the hub for six weeks on, on, on three months, sorry, on, on 17% plus JobKeeper of our monthly wage. Uh, we, we have taken a pay cut and, and we 're open again to taking a pay cut for the next year. Obviously, the foxtel money is, uh, has come down, but again it 's just about how we how we get to that point. Um, you know The players are open to go in and, and individually uh, talk to the clubs uh, and and do their own contracts uh, what what we don 't want is that that's uh, obviously uh, the original uh, agreement, or not agreement the original offer was you know that clubs could just dictate. What pay cut players would take, and and that takes the right away from the player. Um, you know, we we want it to be a negotiations because everyone is in a different financial situation and and also a different point in their career. Um, and 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 the Perth Glory players from from talking to them, you know, we're we're open and, and willing, and uh, and hopefully in the next two or three days, every player will have an individual discussion with our CEO, and and we're hoping that uh, that we'll get a deal done by the weekend or, or early next week that every player is happy with. Uh, and the club's happy with, and we can move on and, and start pre season training uh obviously for our we've got to start a little bit early with the ACL, but you know the players are willing and able and um, you know it's it's we understand the situation we understand players and and the financial situations, and we've never shied away from players not taking a pay cut um, you know I think uh, that's that's the big thing to come out of it um, you know and uh, we hope hope that the clubs can see that and you know we uh, we hope to get a an answer or not an answer, an outcome in the next couple of days or weeks?
4: I think on on that one, it's really important that the players in allowing for the league to resume effectively left about $11 million on the table. The PFA itself invested a further $1 million to allow for the A-League to resume. What we've been saying throughout this negotiation is that, Players and clubs need to sit down as partners and work through this incredibly challenging period. Many clubs have got or well, some clubs rather, have got full rosters. Other clubs have got as few as nine players contracted for next season. So what we were wanting to make sure is that players' were, rights were respected in any negotiation. We put forward a framework that would allow for players and clubs to sit down as partners in the hope of each reaching fair and equitable um, arrangements to be to allow for the game to move forward, but also importantly for those contracts to be respected and to be and to be renegotiated potentially along the same lines in which they were entered into, which is between the player and the club. And that's been a really important point of principle throughout these negotiations. We are the player's collective bargaining agent, but we do not negotiate their individual salaries. So that was important that we worked through that, as I said, as partners, and the players weren't simply left in a position where they were being given a take it or leave it offer.
0: So, Kate, I'll come to you on this one then. Thank you for explaining that, Beau. Um What happens if we end up in a scenario without a collective bargaining agreement? What are the repercussions of that?
5: Yeah, it's a good question, Liz. Without having a CBA, there's protections that are afforded under that agreement, which the players benefit from, such as a player development program. And we know that the precarious nature of the sport and the short-termism that sits around it, that the player's mental health, um, is a huge issue and concern that needs to be protected, enhanced and looked after. Also, alongside that is the income protection. While that still remains within the, the agreement itself, there's um, a career ending component that sits alongside of that as well, which, which looks after players, obviously, that, that have a major injury, which sees their career effectively touch or, or just not going ahead. So there, there are requirements within the CBA that are, are governed through that, which look after the players. So in turn, not having a CBA, that, that opens up the ability for the, the contracts to be changed.
0: Bo, could we end up in a situation, I mean, based on how things are tracking at the moment, uh, where we don't have a collective bargaining agreement going forward?
4: Well, the first three years of the A-League loose, there wasn't a collective bargaining agreement. And our um, objective is always to enter into an agreement that protects the interests of the players and advances those, but also the game. So in the event we're unable to reach a point where um, we don't believe those objectives are met, then, yes, we could be in a position where there isn't a CBA. We think it is vital that there is a collective bargaining agreement. We need, we face a uh, significant challenge posed by COVID, so we need a really comprehensive recovery plan to get ourselves out of this challenge um, that we're faced with, and that's what the CBA has a vital role to do. So we hope we don't get to that solution and get to that point where there isn't a collective bargaining agreement, and certainly there's every intention from the players to reach one, but importantly, it needs to be the right collective bargaining agreement so that we can meet this really challenging moment and move forward and also respect the rights of players in that process as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'll stay with you on this one because we've had a comment come through a bit earlier before we bounce over to Raleigh and then Stolich, you can um, take the floor with some questions. Um, This one coming through via Facebook from Justin Parker. Such a precarious situation for both clubs and players. Players deserve their money, but... Where does this money come from now? Bo, that's been probably one of the biggest questions that I've had to deal with when I've argued for the fact that the players have made enough sacrifices and they've been put through enough and and why they don't deserve to be at the mercy of a 50% to 30% pay cut. But where does this money have to come from?
4: Well, we've tabled two separate proposals um, to try and address this core matter. Now, the first one was a more longer term collective bargaining agreement. What we proposed it was the retention of the salary cap for the period of that cba so for three years and that the salary cap essentially would be used in a way that would allow for the impact on the games revenues to be smoothed over three years so the salary cap for example would come down by an agreed percentage year on year over the course of that cba and would allow this impact of COVID on the games revenues to be spread over a three-year period rather than a one-year period and the objective of that was to ensure that the a-league can retain its talent Um, particularly in this next season when we're in the last year of a broadcast rights agreement and we're seeking further investment into the league. What was clear was that that wasn't accepted by the clubs and as such we proposed a one-year collective bargaining agreement or rather a 10-month and what we said was that if flexibility is what you need to navigate this. And we agree that flexibility is going to be really important. Then we need to create that through having a cap-free season and also allowing a framework for clubs to reach sensible solutions with their players. On the point of where the money is going to come to, what we've always seen is that sport is incredibly resilient. It can bounce back and it will bounce back as we get through this. What we need to ensure is that the quality of the league is maintained so that we have people that want to come and watch our game, that they want to invest into our sport. That's absolutely vital. So in essence, we're saying we need to invest. We need to have a recovery plan to move forward and that the owners will benefit from that into the future. What we know when we look around the world of any of these major events is that austerity measures or simply trying to save our way to success is not going to work. So we need to consider other methods to allow for this game to move forward. And that's what we're saying. If we invest in the right areas, if we do the work to have a comprehensive recovery plan, that everybody is going to benefit, um, but it is absolutely vital that we attract and retain top talent in the A-League if we're going to have any chance of meeting this challenge that we're confronted with.
0: Mm. Raleigh, I want to bounce over to you now. Um, Thank you for your patience. Embedded within this entire Circus Act, of course, is the uncertainty surrounding future of the W League season as well, and I don't feel it's something that we're talking enough about because of all the drama unfolding within the A League, but can you tell us a, and give us a brief snapshot um, of your feelings and your sentiments looking ahead to how things are from your perspective?
3: Oh, look, there's a lot going on, but overall amongst, not just with myself, but amongst all the W League players there's a state of apprehension, um, we we really don't know much of what's going on. We uh, would like, obviously, some public announcement of, A, is our league happening? There's, you know, we have heard that it is, but there's been nothing to football stakeholders in terms of even in the community and the public, whether that's actually going to go ahead Um, So for a lot of people, they're seeking to go elsewhere, whether that's overseas, because we just don't know where we stand. Um, we understand, obviously, that A League has a lot going on, and we're we're feeling for our male counterparts as well, and everything that they're going to, they're having to go through. Um, but at the moment, we're very much at a standstill. Uh, we don't know how to plan our lives um, or even our careers moving forward. And so, most of us have part time jobs on top of football. So, for us, in terms of being able to see what's ahead
0: in the future, it's it's very cloudy. It is really scary when you hear both Liam and Raleigh now talking about you know the uncertainty that they're are experiencing and the, the sacrifices that they've had to make. Um, And Raleigh touched on a really good point there because she said we're not really hearing anything about when the next season is going to start. Um, And I can preface that by saying that um, yesterday I put in a request to Football Federation Australia to have Gregor Rourke, who is the head of leagues, on our show to talk about that, to try and give us an update on where things are at. Today uh, I got a statement from an FFA spokesperson saying the Australian Professional Football Clubs Association and clubs are close to finalising a position on both the A-League and Westfield W-League season start date and resulting season durations. The border restrictions, particularly of WA and internationally affecting the Wellington Phoenix, create a very challenging environment with complex scenario planning. The APFCA and clubs intend to start both leagues either simultaneously or quite close in proximity around the end of the 2020 calendar year. That's all we know Um, and also I have to add to that that we did ask for the chairman of the Australian Professional Football Clubs Association, Paul Lederer, to join us on the show today. I reached out to him yesterday but am yet to receive a response. But Stollage, this seems to be something that's really gripping the football community at this point is when are we going to see the season starting again for both the A-League and the W-League? But I mean hearing that statement there, it, it doesn't give us really much clarity around what to expect in terms of a start date. We understand there are a lot of intricacies. The issues of the the COVID-19 pandemic haven't made that easy. But uh, are are you hoping for more? Were you expecting them to be in a better position now to give us better communication around that?
1: Uh, In a way, I was hoping for more, but in Australian football, it feels like you should never get your hopes up, especially when it comes to the administration side of the game because it's just ridiculous. I spoke to three separate A-League players this week, all from different teams. All three of them told me that they want to leave the league or their club right, because of this situation. That's at different clubs, different situations, different points in their career, but all three said the same thing. I want to leave. I want to get out. This is a joke. And that's the feeling throughout the league. That's the, and what, what a terrible position for us to be in. We're going to lose so many good players in this league and, and we're going to come back. We're going to switch to winter. That's going to be troubled by the fact that we're, we're already changing the time of the year that we're playing in. So you needed to do that on the front foot to have the best kind of structure. Guys, we're changing the dates. Let's get everything else aligned because that is a big change. Now we're going to lose players. Possibly, we're going to lose teams. We've heard rumours that not every A League team will even be back next season. So, it's it's such a horrible time. And then the fans. You you think about from the fans' perspective. You know, they want to start supporting their team. They want to start planning. You know, their season and all that stuff. And they're just looking at this going into debacle. Why? Why would I emotionally invest in this? So, it's been an incredibly frustrating time. I, I see everyone's point of view, but. I would like to say, and I thank everyone for coming on the show today, but I would like to say, you know, we did reach out to Paul Wetterer, who is the chairman of the, of the clubs, basically, the club's group, and we haven't heard from him. We hasn't been anywhere. You know, this is one of the problems. We talked about it last week. The website that they have for the club hasn't been updated in a year. We need to hear, if they want us to understand their side of the story, they need to come out and say their side of the story. And I think they've, they've totally mismanaged that. And, you know, all we're getting is Tony Sage dropping an email and and a couple of tweets from CEOs on Twitter. That's basically their communication at this stage. So I have actually no idea what the clubs want across the board other than they want players to take a cut. Now, the players are saying, we're willing to take a cut. Okay, let's, let's see where this comes in. But I think it's been an absolute disaster in terms of the communication and the execution.
0: I couldn't agree more. Kate, can you give us a, an insight into where things are at as they stand now?
5: Yeah, look, Lisa, it pretty much remains what you've been reading where we're still kind of at a standstill at the moment. We've, we've reached out to continue negotiations and the players have always been ready, willing and able to do so. We, we want a CBA to preside over this season and the remaining seasons to come. So we are open to, to continuing conversation and we'd like to, Hope that the clubs were receptive to, to getting back to the table and Rocket, to start negotiating. You've got a beautiful
0: yeah. wife who I've met on numerous occasions, and, and wonderful children. You've got livelihoods to think about here. I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to see you leave, but could you be pushed into a scenario where you might have to look elsewhere?
2: I think uh, look, every player uh, is going to obviously think that they've got to do the best for their career and and, and as uh, nick just pointed to and alluded to there, there is a lot of players in this league that are looking elsewhere um you know i've i've been uh lucky i suppose that i've been in this a league from day one uh played in the old nsl uh you know i think that this year is so important that we do keep our best players in this country because we've got one year left on a tv deal and we want to be able to sell the game as best as possible and, and that's to keep the best players in this country um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, the Diego Castros, Bruno uh they stay at Earth Glory. Um, you know, Uriah McGrees, they stay at Adelaide because at the end of the day, they're, they're, the, they're the product um, and they're the people, they're, they're the reason the fans come and uh, come to the game. So, look, every player is in a different situation. You know, as you said, I've got three young kids to look after, a wife. Um, you know, I live on, on the other side of the country from my family. Um, you know, I've got no family support over here. So... Um, you know, that's my situation, but um, you know, I'm hoping to, to be able to finish my career at Perth Glory. Uh, I love living over here and I, and I love the football club. Um, you know, and hopefully we can, we can get to a, a resolution sooner rather than later.
0: couldn't agree more. Um, Bo, from your perspective, I mean, in dealing with all of the clubs, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of it? Um, and, and are a lot of them in agreement, or have you got a couple that are going rogue? What have, what have the relationships been like at the negotiation table?
4: I think Lucy, it is an incredibly challenging period. We're coming through a period where there's been huge upheaval for our for our sport and it's been hugely unexpected and a moment we're anticipating that was coming sort of three years down the line has arrived a whole lot earlier in terms of where we're at with our, um, our partnership with Fox Sports and the broadcaster What we're seeing with a lot of the clubs is they're working extremely collaboratively with their players and they're reaching solutions that work for players and clubs. So that's really encouraging that that's moving forward. What we know is that the CBA is still a critical aspect for this sport and that I think, you know, the vast majority of clubs, what I'm hearing from the players and also directly when I'm speaking with the clubs, they're still supportive of that. So we remain optimistic that we can get there. There is still a fair bit of terrain. We've got to travel across to get to that point. But, you know, the CBA has been an incredibly powerful platform for this game to move forward. We've had one in the A-League for the past 12 years. And I think that's created a fantastic partnership for our professional league in the A-League to move forward. And everybody's really aware of just how important it's been in the growth of the W-League. And importantly, as we look forward, you know, in three years time where we're presented with perhaps the greatest opportunity our game's going to have. So the CBA is a vital way and a really critical way that we can make sure we really seize that opportunity. And that event just isn't a fantastic event, but leaves a long-lasting legacy for the professional game in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. Kate, um, I have to ask, uh, this particular comment sort of struck me when Tony Sage suggested that the A-League owners are effectively the only ones that are wanting to invest in the game at the moment. But I know for a fact that the PFA are also out of pocket in a lot of this and have invested a lot to try and help the players. I mean, you spoke about before the importance of having a collective bargaining agreement because of the player development opportunities, you know, taking care of players who are even outside of the A-League, paying for gym memberships and doing all of that. So how do you feel the role of the PFA has been affected in all of this as well.
5: Yeah, I don't think our roles change, Lisa. I mean, there's a fiscal kind of investment that goes into this, but there's the emotional investment that sits alongside it too. And from the players and the PFA's perspective, that's something that we contribute to in spades. And our role will still remain. We're still there to advocate on the players' behalf and, and create an environment for them and protections for them that move this game forward. And as Bo alluded to, the the CBA is, is a tool that creates that. If we can all work together to launch a recovery plan for the professional leagues and also the game, then the, the CBA kind of underpins and is the mechanism that will provide that.
0: Raleigh, from your perspective, mean, with all this uncertainty, I don't envy any of the players in this situation, um, particularly with respect to the W League, where there hasn't even been much dialogue around what we can expect, and even if there will be a season, which is terrifying to think of, given that we're in a situation where three years from now, we're hosting a Women's World Cup across Australia and New Zealand. Um, but what does this mean for your career going forward? And, and what have you thought about? I guess a similar sort of question that, that I asked Rocket before. I mean, could you be pushed to, to look elsewhere, to to explore your options abroad?
3: Uh, look, it's, as you can see, with a lot of the Matildas and a lot of other um, players in our competition, we've already lost a large amount to, say, Europe, uh, predominantly at the moment. And for me personally, you know, I have a partner. Um, I have a full-time job and I'm very fortunate that I have employers that when I do move to Melbourne normally, um, they let me continue working part-time to supplement the fact that I have a mortgage, that I have car loans, that I have a lot of those things that... Realistically, a lot of female athletes don't have. Um, but I think the biggest concern is particularly with us getting the Women's World Cup bid is there's a lot of talk about the W League potentially becoming a development league as a result of, um, you know, no announcement and no, I suppose, firm Uh, idea of when this league is going to happen, um, and that's a concern. We want to attract the best. We have been progressing towards that the last couple of years. We've got CBAs in place, um, and now we're at jeopardy of becoming quite obsolete in comparison to the rest of the international uh, football world. So for us, we we need to good have and particularly FFA, they need to have a good hard look at themselves um, and how they're going to shape up this W League and their players that they're losing. Um, because you may lose a few of us to even this season coming because we just don't know what's happening. For me, I don't have the luxury to look overseas unless I can take my partner with me um, because of his health reasons. Um, So it could be that if they don't give us an answer, I'm going to have to maintain my full-time work as an occupational therapist, which is not a bad thing. Um, But it's just more for financial security. We don't have that luxury.
0: God, that's terrifying to hear. It's really terrifying. Um, Bo, I want to come to you on this one. I penned a piece uh, not all that long ago, effectively asking where the bloody hell James Johnson was, because I think it's all been quite clear to us within the football fraternity that the negotiations had reached an impasse. And the reason I penned that piece was because I feel as though, even though FFA are in a situation where they're going through this unbundling process, they do still have a moral and also legal um, and ethical obligation to the game, irrespective of whether or not ownership falls under their umbrella. But at what point are you hoping for FFA to intervene, if at all?
4: I don't... Uh, it's a really good question, Lisa. I don't think we're at that point yet that it requires their intervention. Um, communication remains ongoing between the two parties. Obviously, there was an escalation yesterday in relation to what's occurred with the Perth Glory players. So that's obviously... Um, A potential critical moment that may require the intervention from FFA what we would like to see is that whether FFA can play a role in edging both parties towards a solution at the moment Um, but I think really where we are currently is that we still remain optimistic we can reach an agreement FFA are still um, legally overseeing the league, but the negotiations have been between the clubs and ourselves. So we may reach that moment. Um James has obviously publicly spoken in relation to that, um, that he may be required to intervene, but I don't think we're there currently. Mm.
0: Um, Stolidge, from my perspective, and i to also ask some questions of the panel before we let them go shortly, but from my perspective, I've felt as though FFA have just desperately wanted to wash their hands of this situation. And that's just me speaking honestly as both a journalist, as a lover of the game, and also thirdly as an observer of their involvement here. Bo was saying that they're not required yet, but from my sort of understanding, I still feel as though they did have an obligation to come out and at least condemn what's going on. But they, throughout this whole unbundling process, don't really want to know about it. They don't want to know about the A-League. They don't want to know about how difficult it is going on in the negotiations. They just seem very absent in all of this. And that's fine because, as both said, they're not needed just yet. But in terms of even having an overarching view on things, that's been, you know, it's non-existent. What's your view on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always like people to be more proactive than reactive and, and and have a vision for the game. And But, you know, as you said, there is this process of unbundling and the clubs wanted FFA kind of out. They wanted to deal with it themselves. I just feel that they haven't dealt with it very well at all. So, you know, FFA does have to, I guess, respect that that process happened and the A-League did try to pull away from their centralized control. But yeah, at a certain point, you know, when I think uh, James Johnson came out and said he will intervene when the game is brought into disrepute. In my opinion, Tony Sage's email was the game being brought into disrepute, and there was a few things that I really want to challenge Tony Sage's email that we saw. He said that the owners are the only ones willing to invest in the game. Now, I think it's great that the owners do invest in the game. I think anyone who wants to invest in the game is great. But they are not the only ones who want to invest in the game. We had an entire expansion process where there were bids from all over the country. All of them wanted to invest in the game. So that's one thing. And it was often clubs that were like, no, we can't expand too much. Oh, no, we can't expand there. There were millions and millions of dollars that were willing to come into the A-League. We saw it with Canberra. We saw it with the owners. We've we've had the Canberra bid on the show recently, and they told us how much money was willing to come in from Europe. That's not in the game right now. The second thing is, of course, the fans are willing to invest uh, in the game. The fans are willing to buy memberships. The fans are willing to buy shirts and tickets. And to me, it's very frustrating to see. You know, I, I looked at some stats this week, and A League crowds are at about ten thousand average. Right, so we average about ten thousand per game. This is very similar to Portugal, Turkey, Korea, and all over all over the world. Those leagues make manage to make it work. Now, why is that? It, it can't be so hard. It can't be impossible in a country like Australia, where we're a rich country, 14th biggest economy in the world. It, it, to me, it, it's just incredibly frustrating. And I and I want to know, and, and maybe, you know, Bo and Kate, maybe you could give us your opinion on why aren't we able to make the most of what we have, which is, uh, you know, 2 million participants, uh, you know, 10,000 average crowds. which like I'm saying, listen, they could improve. I think it would be great if they did. But that's still a lot of money coming into the game. Why are... We're struggling financially so much.
4: I think, um, Nick, on that point of investment, I think an important acknowledgement as well too. There's often the financial investment coming into the game, but there's also the players are investing their professional lives and their livelihoods into the sport. We saw in the case of Wellington Phoenix where they've done eight weeks of quarantine in the space of, you know, five months. So I think that investment, you know, from what Tony pointed out there, I think the players really do appreciate. We respect the investment that's being made by the clubs, but players are investing significantly into this sport in terms of their lives and a huge amount of time and effort in what they're doing. I think the second sort of part that you said there, that the A-League has made incredibly incredible progress over the journey. You know, to think about, I was fortunate enough, and as was Liam, to play. In the old nsl and how far the games come forward in this country we should all be incredibly proud of and also on the w league side as well too but we still face a number of fundamental challenges how do we convert convert rather those grassroots participants into fans of the a-league you know we face a number of really important strategic choices as we do that you know when when are we going to hold the season How do we recapture that atmosphere that was so famous at the Western Sydney Wanderers that saw our A-League really move forward in the eyes of everywhere? How do we compete in Asia? And importantly, how do we attract and retain the best talent? To Raleigh's point earlier, you know, by not setting a date, we've got young girls around the country thinking, should I go and play AFLW? What are my options in that war? all these sort of things. And for young male players, if they can't see a pathway forward, why are they going to continue to pursue their livelihoods in this great game that is football? So we face a number of challenges. We need to not lose sight of those, but we also need to recognize we've made some really great progress. Not everything is broken. There's been some really important reforms, but we really need to go back and finish a job on those important reforms that we've been able to get through since the A-League's inception.
0: Kate, over to you um, as we look to wrap up now. Best case scenario versus worst case scenario out of all of these discussions going forward?
5: I think best case is we're kind of moving towards it in this organic process is that the players and the clubs sit down and they have transparent and honest discussions about the realities and the challenges that they're both facing and they can find a fair and equitable solution that fits both parties. Then we are able to put forward a CBA that is the framework that codifies all of that and, and we move forward together. We work at a recovery and how we build out of this and alongside that is the W League as well. There's a commitment to keep advancing the strides that we've made in the last three years with the protection of a CBA. I think if every party comes to the table and we sit down and, and we plan this forward and, as we said, we recover, I think it's been the key word that's been used here because we all know that we're facing such a challenge at the moment to reboot ourselves um, I think that's that's the best path forward and the only path forward in my eyes. What about
0: the worst-case scenario?
5: I don't even want to think where the worst-case scenario would see us, <laughs> to be honest, Luce. Uh, I don't think it's a question that any of us want to really turn up our energies towards. We really need to just focus our energies on moving forward.
0: Well said. Um, I'll ask this of both of you, Rocket and Raleigh, from a player's perspective. Um, when you think about the importance of a CBA, what does it mean to you? Rocket you first.
2: Yeah, it's very important. It uh, obviously gives the opportunity for players to to, ex- to access educational uh, benefits, you know, studies studies away from the field, but also it, it, the protection of the players. Um, you know, we we touched on that there was no CBA for the first two or three years of the A League, but um, you know that's that's become very important for the for the players uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, obviously I I've, I've used utilized uh, that with study and also uh, you know trying to do my coaching badges. Um, so I think it's very important that the uh, CBA is uh, all bundled into to the negotiations uh, that that are unfolding now.
0: What about you from your perspective, Riley, the importance of the CBA?
3: The CBA is critical to the women's game. Um, without it the last I think three or so years, um, you know we didn't have that protection in the women's game. We didn't have things like minimum standards um, in terms of our medical side of things. We didn't have access. And the big thing with a lot of, I think, players just in general is a lot of them drop out of their, e- any form of education at a young age. So when the game does start to end for them, we're um, just at a loss of what to do. Um, it offers a lot of basically benefits from a psycho, so uh, yeah, psychosocial point, which I know that a lot of players accessed during COVID. It was a very hard time for players who were used to going a thousand miles an hour, um, and then all of a sudden the world was at a standstill. So for me, it's, it's of utmost importance that we keep it in our game, um, just so that we can continue striving forward and not take basically, basically
0: regress in any way in the female game. While we've still got Raleigh here, um, I'd love to have her view on this, Dolich. I want to bounce over to you because we saw a bit of a public relations disaster unfold last week off the back of the Matilda's jersey kit launch and the discovery that you couldn't actually get a women's cut in the away jersey, which happened to also be my favourite of the two strips, ironically. Um, It's been pretty bloody embarrassing, to put it quite frankly, um, a real scourge on where we're at, particularly when you consider what I said earlier, that we're hosting a Women's World Cup here in three years and our Matildas team are one of the darling franchises of Australian sport. But you got a statement from Nike in response to the debacle. What can you tell us?
1: Yeah, so they sent us a statement just about 10 minutes before the show started. They said, Nike is committed to women's football and serving our female athletes and consumers with innovative Nike product. We're currently retailing the Australia home jersey in a women's silhouette. And after listening to consumers and fans, the women's away jersey will be available in the market early next year. So they have reversed that decision. I would say that if they were really committed, they would have made the decision in the first place, but... (laughs) You know, it, it is good that eventually they've worked it out. I, could, I To me, it was an absolute brain fade. I can't believe wow. this was even, yeah, like not considered. It was like, what? You're not saying that? Like we, we did the, you know, I was part of the kit launches. you know, I was just watching yeah. it and stuff. And we interviewed uh, the players. We I didn't even think to ask, is it in women's sizes? Because yeah. it just seemed so <laughs> obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what, is it in men's sizes as well? Like the, the kids can get it? It 100%. was... <laughs> it was an absolute disaster. And the, all the money that they spent on the launch and the PR, and Nina Las Vegas was there. And like, you think, guys, all this money you spent on PR, just sell, put the shirts at Rebel Sport. What What's so hard about this? So I don't know. But if, uh, anyway, they're coming next year. So if you do want to get one, you can get one uh, next year. But yeah, an absolute own goal from uh, Nike there. And you know, you, you'd wow. think, I don't know how exactly it works, but you'd think the FFA would also want to ask before that they sign up with Nike. Guys, let's just make sure that it's available for everyone to purchase.
3: Oh, uh, look, it, it's just another example of uh, how they're lacking in that department, in the female side of things, the FFA, and their lack of attention to detail um, in the women's game, particularly, as we said, um, they're part of Australia's darlings, the Matildas, how you cannot have female cuts in this day and age and believe me it's not just in the national squad it happens in our national like in our clubs as well um so while you know the sad thing is i'm not surprised and i shouldn't be saying that um right now but it's it's embarrassing and the fact that they're still not available till next year is ridiculous it should be we're amending this now a week turnaround they're not hard to do and as lucy said the away strip was my favourite as well, so it's sad we either have to get amends and just make do, and just wait, wait for that time. But it's it's an embarrassment to the game, um, not just for Australia but internationally as well.
1: Can I can I say if there's anyone out there who makes knockoff T-shirts and sells them at the markets, this is the time to strike. <laughs> Women's cut. Oh wait, you've got you've got at least three months to beat Nike to it. I'm
5: telling you, them see them at the market.
1: <laughs>
0: Uh, In Italy, they'll lock you up for um, producing counterfeits. So we're not encouraging that here in Australia either. Do it at your own peril. (laughs) Guys, that's an entirely different subject. I really want to thank our PFA co-chief executives, Kate Gill and Bo Bush, for joining us. In addition to Perth Glory Shotstopper, Liam Rudy, aka Rocket. Great to see you guys. And also Melbourne City star W League uh, hero, Raleigh Dobson, for making the time. We really appreciate it. And and can I just say from the bottom of my heart, I, I want to thank you at the PFA, of course, for standing up and defending the players. I think one of the biggest misconceptions of the PFA throughout all of this, because I've, I've seen a lot of commentary on it. A lot of it has, has frustrated me to no end. But the thing that has pissed me off the most, if I can be so candid, is that they've said that the PFA aren't helping in this situation, that they're also the greedy party in all of this. The PFA's role and sole responsibility is to protect the players and to represent the collective cohort of this playing group. And to that I will say you were both doing a fine job. It's been a tough, tough time to come into the the co-executive roles for the both of you, but I want to commend you on the way that you've conducted yourselves throughout this period for the players. I also want to commend you on standing strong for a recognition recognising your worth and understanding going forward that this isn't a sacrifice that the players should have to make. This is something that the administrators and those involved in investing in the game have to acknowledge has to be done in order to, to, to rescue it going forward. So this is a recovery plan. That's what we have to start um, becoming more accustomed to. So thank you all for making the time. We really appreciate it.
4: Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, guys.
5: Thanks, guys. Thank you, Beth.
0: I hope particularly that that situation, Stolich, uh, with Perth Glory also starts to, to solve itself because it's been a, a bit of a disaster and Tony Sage certainly hasn't helped it at all. Um, what have your views been, firstly, on his email and the commentary that came out from there to, to sort of how things are playing out now?
1: Well, it's it's a debacle. I mean, it's an absolute debacle. With Some other breaking news that I can uh, give you right now. Perth have just released a statement, actually. Squad update. Uh, Perth can confirm Tomislav Mercella has departed the club and that Nathaniel Atkinson and Andrew Naboo will not be joining the team. So they've just they've just released that. So if I'm a Perth fan, I'm looking at this like so hold on what's going on with our club? We've got Dario Castro, you know, that there's, there's he's clearly very unhappy at the situation, unlikely to play next season. You know, we're, we've already lost our coach. I think there's, they've only got about 13 contracted players now, which they've all stood down. Hey, what are you doing? This is a team that was in the grand final last year that still has to play the Asian Champions League, by the way. Like Liam Reddy was saying, they still have to play the Asian Champions League. With who? With, you know, and Richard Garcia, I feel sorry for him. He's just stepped in, he's, he's the coach. And then the next day, I believe he stood down as well with the players what's an absolute disaster and by the way if you were trying to sign anyone and you're going to have to sign players who is going to want to go there of any quality you might be able to pick up some youngsters from from the you know the, the wa npl but that's basically going to be it and then you've got to go and play asian champions league football your first campaign by the way in asia your first campaign it's a disaster. So, I don't know. I've been in- incredibly frustrated uh with Tony Sage. And to me, listen, I-, I respect Tony Sage in the fact that he has put in money in the past. And, you know, that's good. But I'll just say a few things. One, if you buy a Ferrari and you can't afford the fuel, then... Maybe it's time that maybe you shouldn't have bought the Ferrari. So th- that that's kind of what's going on there. We know he's tried to sell the club. He tried to sell the club to those cryptocurrency scammers. You know, in the back of the limo, the lock, stock, two smoking barrels character, who I think got arrested for fraud like a week later or something. And by the way, he was chairman of that company. He was given the chairmanship of that company. So he w- it wasn't like they just came to him and he considered the offer. No, no, he was well, invert. You know. Connected with that company, so it's been an absolute disaster, and I think he's handled it uh, really poorly. And you know, and again, I say like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you know these owners they they have put in their money and and we're grateful for that, but there comes a responsibility with being an owner, and that is that you have to you have to honor contracts. You can't if you if you own a fruit shop. And you, you order, I don't know, a thousand tomatoes and then the tomatoes turn up and say, Oh, listen, you're going to, uh, we can only pay 50%. I know I ordered it. Like the, the players aren't going to pay 50% less games. And yes, the income has been affected, but let's say Perth Glory was doing really well off the pitch and, and that crowds were up, you know, 20,000 every game. The players don't see any more money because of that. They don't have that incentive structure in there. So in my mind, you can't say on one hand, You know, you have to take cuts because we're losing money. And then, well, but hold on. When we're making money, I don't get to, you know, have any of that. My contract still stays the same. So I understand the players' frustration. I understand. And I'm not saying they don't need to take cuts. They, They probably do. Realistically, they do to keep this league alive. But it's in the players' interest to keep this league alive. It's in our interest to keep this league alive. It's in the owners' interest to keep this league alive. But, yeah, again, I just get very frustrated with these individual owners making these mistakes in my mind running their clubs poorly and you know I I look and this is more why I would like to see a community model I would like to see a community ownership model because you know we act like these owners they they act the owners say oh we're the only ones who are willing to put money in that's not true that is not true and and you look at like AFL AFL I think every single club in AFL is community ownership the members own it right members can fund the club you know that's one way another way is you know, if you want to make money, I was talking about how the crowds are the same number as Portugal. Portugal is about 11,000 average crowd. A league's 10,000. In Portugal, the clubs invest in youth development. Why? Because they develop players, they then sell those players. You see players going from for 40 million euros to to wolves and all these things, straight from the Portuguese league. If these owners were serious about making money and getting money from their clubs, they would invest heavily in youth development. They would be making sure that those players have a pathway to the first team and that that first team plays a lot of games so the young players can play, so they can sell them to Europe and they can make money through that way. That's one of the ways that they're not doing it. So, I just don't buy this. We're the only ones willing to, uh, you know, and the players won't take any pay cuts. You know, like Liam already said, they took a 83% pay cut. AFL players, I believe, took uh, 50%. NRL players took 20%. They've taken an 87% pay cut. And, yes, it does include JobKeeper, but JobKeeper is paid by the government. JobKeeper is not paid by the clubs. So it's not their cost. So they're paying 17%. So I just think it's incredibly frustrating. I understand why the players are holding firm. Um, I think there needs to be, you know, some kind of. Okay, let's say the players have to take a pay cut. Well, then the club has to agree that all their buyout fees are zero. If a move comes from overseas or even even internally, and they can get more money elsewhere, then they can go for free, because we've seen the situation with Paul Izzo, where Paul Adelaide United are demanding five hundred thousand dollars for Paul Izzo, but then they they're paying him seventeen percent. No that can 't be right in my in my eyes once you once you don't pay me my full contract, then you forfeit the right to a transfer fee. I should be able to terminate my contract, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think a lot of players anyone who's got an offer from overseas is going to terminate their contract the player the team the clubs and this is this is where the owners are actually making a mistake they 're going to miss out on revenue they 're going to miss out on five hundred thousand dollars a million dollars perth sold. I think Danny de silver for a million dollars to to Roma a few years ago, or something even though I think the move didn't quite work out but That's how you can make a lot of money. So, and I don't think you're going to make a lot of money by getting rid of Diego Castro, by not bringing in Naboo and Atkinson, who are kind of your your star signings. I think they're going to kill themselves. And we need this league to sustain. So, I, I don't know. To me, it was an absolute disaster.
0: Disasters putting it nicely, probably, um, with respect to Tony Sage, I mean, we've seen a, a litany of issues coming out of uh, him, him and owning this football club. I mean, and that stems back to the salary cap debacle, of course, you listed there, the cryptocurrency disaster that it took a radio station to to uncover, to investigate, uh, you know, who the London Football Exchange were, is an indictment in itself, because Sage is saying that he was going to fly over there to do due diligence. Perhaps if you just started Googling the situation in the first place, you might have saved yourself and your lawyer all of that grief of going over things and now this issue of him coming out publicly and condemning what's going on it's tacky and it starts to raise the question to me of when is it going to come time for Tony Sage to hand back his licence, for him to admit that this isn't working out or potentially to sell the club to somebody that he's going to invest and to do their own due diligence and to treat the club, the players and the fans with respect. Perth Glory, that as a franchise is a grand... You I think back to the NSL days. Um, The Glory were, were such an incredible football club. They have such a rich and storied history that have. Have added so much to the fabric of Australian football. And when I look at what's happening to this club, to what it's being reduced to, it's simply not on and it's not right. So we also have to ask ourselves, what standard do we start to hold for our A-League and the owners that are running the football clubs and that are looking to buy into the competition in the, in the next instance? I think it's gotten out of hand. And the fact that Perth Glory fans, and I'm not saying all of them, but the commentary and the engagement that I've had with some of them have been the first to respond and say, oh, well, no, 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 Tony Pinata, who, by the way, I have no issue with, he's always been a fantastic man to deal with, but Tony Sage had, you know, made these comments saying that he was going to issue these stand-down notices and all of these things, he was going to threaten to do it in the first instance. Then a story came out via News Corp from a journalist named Joey Barton saying that effectively what had occurred was that they were going to threaten They were going to threaten to deport Diego Castro because he wasn't fulfilling his obligations attached to his visa requirements, because he wasn't playing. Now, he had made the decision that he didn't want to come back for the remainder of the season because he didn't want to pose a health risk to him and his family, no thanks to COVID-19. Now, out of that, they're trying to kick out a Johnny Warren medalist, an absolute winner, one of the best imports that we've seen in this country, out of the game. And that's how they're treating him. It's absolutely disgusting. Then from that, you end up in a scenario where the threat turns into a reality and you stand down the players. What a way to treat your playing group. It's disgraceful and it's disgusting. And now, what I'm saying to those Perth Glory fans that are saying, oh, well, you know, no, no, Tony Pinata's come out and cleared it all up. No, he hasn't cleared it all up. That's the problem is that Tony also has a job to do as a CEO and protect his owner and protect his football club. What I know to be facts are that Naboot, Atkinson, and Castro had not been paid a cent. Now we know that Naboot and Atkinson, of course, they're not going to be with a football club, so that's now irrelevant. But to cite border restrictions as being a problem as to why you couldn't fulfil a contract obligation to a player and pay them is garbage. That does not wash with me in the slightest. Then you're also in a situation where they're denying that there was any threat for for deportation. I know there was a threat for deportation, right, because that's what they were alleging that they wanted to do. They wanted his contract terminated by the 31st of August. It has not still been terminated. He still has another year left on his contract, and he has to agree to that termination. And if he's not agreeing agreeing to that termination, then you have to continue to pay him. I don't understand so difficult about all of this. So, Perth fans, my advice to all of you is to start directing ire towards your owner. He's treating your players like trash and you need to be more defensive about your football club, what it stood for over the years and what it could continue to stand for in the coming years. So if you're not happy about the situation, start to demand answers from your owner because I'm certainly demanding answers from him now. He needs to own up to the way that he's run this football club and he needs to explain why he's going to start treating his players better going forward.
1: Stolich? Yeah, and I mean, this sort of thing, but also getting the best for the team, you know, making the Asian Champions League success, building on that. And actually, they were in a position maybe, what, a year ago where you thought, good team, good players, you know, they, they were having a lot of success on the pitch. And that's what we saw. it. And we were hopeful that Perth glory were back to the glory years. But yeah, I just think it, it's been a... Like I said, it's been a it's been a disaster, and it's interesting actually. Someone, uh, Nicholas Rapolo, who I believe is a young football journalist, he's kind of said NRL idea was giving players twenty nine point five per share of net revenue they make going forward to recoup losses. I quite like that idea of giving if the players have to take a cut then they should get some of the revenue. They should, they should. And then that also incentivizes the players to help grow the revenue and help, you know, get the club moving off the field. And then there's even more, uh, you know, desire to engage the community and go to those events. So I quite like that as a potential solution to kind of meet somewhere in the middle. But, yeah, I totally agree with uh, you when it comes to the owners. I think that these owners, we act like these owners that the club lives and dies with the owner. No, owners come and go. Perth Glory should be able to outlive Tony Sage. Now, it's good that, again, I'm repeating it. It's good that he invested the money when he did. Thank you for that. But that doesn't absolve you. And it's not like, well, I've invested the money, therefore I can you know, do whatever I want. No, no, no. You have a responsibility to rub, run this club well. And it doesn't uh, um, absolve you of criticism either. So mm. that, that to me is the, the biggest frustration. And yeah, like I said, I would like to see, because we've had this issue with Clive Palmer. We've had this issue with Nathan Tinkler at Newcastle Jets. Um, mm. The backaries at Brisbane, repeated uh, issues there. We've had issues almost with, Almost every club in the A League at one stage or another when it comes to owners. And the owners need to take responsibility. And I again, they need to even communicate better as a group. You know, let's hear their side of the story. What do they propose is actually gonna move this game forward? Because like you said, we're gonna come back to this in 10 months' time. When there's no Foxtel deal, we're gonna come back again and we're gonna have to renegotiate everything again. We're gonna need a vision. How is this gonna work? How is the winter football going to work how is the second division promotion relegation which has to come in how is that going to work we need this and I think sometimes they don't want to come on they don't want to speak because they know they'll get criticized and unfortunately you should not have got into football if you don't want to be criticized because that that's the nature of this game so
0: I just, I just wish that the owners um, would come out and speak to us. Um, for those of us in the media, um, for those of you that may have missed it earlier on in the show, I said that we did also extend the opportunity to Western Sydney Wanderers owner Paul Lederer, who also happens to be the chairman of the Australian Professional Football Clubs Association, to, to come on the show and to explain their position, which is precisely what I said when I offered it to him yesterday. Um, I'm yet to hear anything back from Paul Which is a real shame only because, like I said, we want to know from the owner's position what it is that they're going through um, and to explain their view on things and why they've been pushed into this scenario. We know that the economic crisis that's gripped, um, you know, not just the the sporting economy but the entire world um, has been a really challenging one. But to be able to articulate things from their point of view would be helpful in this scenario, I feel. Um, And that's why I think it's a crying shame that they haven't been able to get their act together in terms of their communication side of things. You mentioned it earlier, Stollage, that you go to their website and nothing's been updated within a year. They don't have a media officer or someone that you, as someone working in the media, can contact and say, hey, can we get a comment on this? You're having to constantly scratch around. I mean, I've reached out to Chris Fong, who's also the Vice Chairman, um, and and got nothing out of him every time I've reached out to him. I've reached out to Simon Pearce of the City Group uh, because he used to be the, the, the Chief um, uh, Respondent there, but nothing from him either, which is just, again, like I said, a real shame. They're losing this PR battle in all of this, and I'm not saying it's about a public relations win or loss but you know ultimately they're not doing themselves any favors by choosing to shirk their responsibility in terms of communicating with the footballing public, and also when you've got guys like Sage going completely rogue and doing nothing but damaging the reputation of the entire owners' cohort. Um, before we move on from this, I know that it's been a topic that's gripped us for, for the entire show, but um, your thoughts and reaction to the views of the co-chief executives, Bo and Kate, um, this whole dispute that they're in, it seems as though, as Bo said, they're not ready for, for FFA intervention just yet, which is obviously good news because it means that things haven't reached a boiling point but the fact that they are still in a scenario where they can't agree on any one thing um is a bit of a worry
1: yeah it is a bit of a worry and it's a bit of a worry when different clubs are gonna you know agree on different things and uh, that's gonna be a big problem because I don't know it's it's just it, I, I really don't see it. it's interesting that they're very open to a salary cap being abolished um that's interesting because you know I think a lot of people want that so the fact that they're, they're going for that is is an interesting step. I wonder what the owners wouldn't want to abolish a salary cap. And there's a difference, obviously, between a salary cap and a salary floor. So I would imagine some owners wouldn't mind abolishing the salary floor so they could pay players a lot less. But And, you know, maybe that should also be considered. Maybe this floor is too high. I don't know. It would be an interesting uh, thing to look at. I think it's not good, though, to abolish the salary floor without promotion and relegation because then, at least if there's relegation, relegation then you can say well if you don't spend money you'll be relegated to the second division and that's okay someone will come up in your place and they can spend the money but if you don't have a salary floor and then the, and then there's no relegation that to me is a big problem so I don't mind the idea abolish the cap abolish the floor but you can only do that once promotion and relegation in and then there's a natural punishment for teams that don't invest or invest poorly because you don't have to invest a lot of money as we see from a team like say atalanta overseas you don't have to invest a lot of money to be very successful if you invest your money smartly and this is what i'm saying a lot of clubs haven't done that so when owners start crying foul about oh we've lost a lot of money well That is also on you as the owner. You know, I can't, like I said before, the same thing with the fruit shop analogy. I can't run a fruit and veg shop and go, guys, I'm losing all this money. What's going on? Well, who have you appointed to manage it? What decisions have you made? You know, that has to be considered. And like I was saying, 10,000 average gate, you know, that is pretty healthy. So why can't we make more of that? Why can't we, you know, we, we had um, uh, Danny Townsend on recently, Sydney CD, CEO, talking about how do you engage the community better? And he, he gave his responses. It's good to see that they're seemingly working on that. That's great. We need to see more of that.
0: I only acknowledge that, Stolich, and Danny said it himself, that in the yeah. past they weren't doing enough. I mean he yep. said that when he started engaging when he came into the role and he started engaging with the various football associations in, in the FC's neighbourhood, he said no one beforehand had even picked up the phone to speak to them. That's terrifying. So yep. he effectively ratified the comments and the questions that we had raised earlier when he said, Well, are these football clubs doing enough? They're in year one of a, I think it was a five-year strategy. And it's unfortunate that the first year that they started to embark on this strategy of engaging more with the community and getting everybody in, COVID hit. So there are acknowledgements there that, yes, more could have been done. Um, But I commend it now on recognising that and starting to make inroads in that space. Um, But it's one of those things where I think, you know, a lot of people are are writing in with some comments on that, uh, particularly with respect to the salary cap as well, um, because they're they're affecting the effectively saying that perhaps that's not going to be the only problem um, that needs to be fixed going forward. There are a host of issues. Um, and we talk about what about sponsorships. Um, you know, there were a few pictures of the Adelaide United kit doing the rounds, and I remember Vince Regari, um, City Morning Herald journalist, posted up a tweet uh, questioning why the fact that there was no Hyundai uh, above the, the shirt emblem there. So that again well, they're is
1: are Well, they're not in but- the league anymore.
0: But that, but, but they had said that they were supposed to, my understanding was, to to see out the remainder of their contract or perhaps to buy in for another year or so before they left entirely. I could be, because someone correct me if I'm wrong there, but that was my understanding. So it's it's a strange time for the game across a, a host of layers and that seems to be the biggest problem here is that we're not just dealing with an isolated issue, we're trying to put out several spot fires, but that in a nutshell represents Australian football. You touched on it earlier there and that's a rumour that I have also heard that potentially Um, and this is only allegedly, um, this is not something that I would attribute to, to, um, you know, great fact or or anything by any stretch of the imagination, so take this one with a grain of salt. But one thing that we have heard that's doing the rounds is that potentially some of the owners are agitating for the league to contract to become smaller to potentially 10 teams. So that could potentially mean getting rid of either, and this is only what I've heard it's hearsay, could potentially mean getting rid of either the Central Coast Mariners and Wellington Phoenix. Um, Now, the Phoenix, we know, have been up against it for many Years um, haven't met targets allegedly and potentially could be staring down the barrel of you know total exile altogether. But um, one thing I have to say, I've always been uh, pretty tough on the Mariners, particularly their owner Mike Charlesworth, for the lack of investment in the. What we have to commend them is that they have continued to pay their players their full salaries and their full contract entitlement. So, you know, you compare ownership models here from Sage versus a guy like Mike Charlesworth, both, of course, have amassed great wealth, but then you're in a scenario where Charlesworth has decided that ultimately he has to fulfil his contract player of obligations, and he could have easily stood down his players as well, but he's someone that has operated his football club on a shoestring budget um, but still manages to adhere to his obligation, stolid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is the other thing is that it's not like these owners aren't going to be able to pay their rent or something this week because of all the money they've spent on their football club. These owners are very, very wealthy people. In the case of Paul Letterer, he's a billionaire. So that's going to and, – and I think, you know, I think at least uh, Central Coast Mariners are doing what's right. They have, They have these contracts. They are honouring these contracts. When we say to players, you can't go, you know, overseas – It's because, you know, they are honoring their contracts. So that's what we always say. You've signed the contract. You have to honor that contract. So... That's one thing. Now, 10 teams, I think that would be an absolute disaster because we know we're already going to lose some of our best players. So if we lose also clubs as well, what, you know, what does that say about A-League Season 16? Oh, th- look at this exciting competition. We've lost two teams and all our best players have gone overseas. It, you know, we're going to get onto it, but we see it. Melbourne City already, uh, Josh Berlante has gone and joined Tony Popovich over in Greece. And if you're Ooh. saying...
0: Let's talk about those player movements then because that's yeah. one of our other conversations. So you've seen now that Josh Bellante is uh, on his way to Xanthi FC to partner up with Tony Popovich mm-hmm. uh, and Spider, who were over there. Um we know that uh, Popovich departed for Xanthi the day after after part me Perth got kicked out of the A League final series. Um they were a relegation bound club. Tony effectively had a game and a bit to try and solve this problem um, and avoid relegation. He wasn't able to do so. They've been bumped down to the second division in Greece now. And um and it really just has to, to speak to the situation at Perth in many ways, doesn't it, Stolich? Because for Tony Popovich, um, you know, to leave Perth right, and his home of Australia, of course, we know that he's raised in Sydney, um, but to leave his home of Australia, to go to a club that was in such a dire situation in a league that, respectfully speaking, has its own issues as well that we've heard of categorically over the years, um, you know, the the non-payment of players, the poor treatment of them and the issues there. Um, it really just speaks to how badly he wanted to get out of that situation. But now you've lost Josh Berlante at Melbourne City, who we know are a football club that have got tremendous resources, and now a player like Craig Moon, who I thought was, was pretty damn special for us in the A-League this season. Um, you know, are we expecting uh, more announcements to come out of this? Surely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, don't worry. In the next few weeks, we'll see a lot of players leave the A-League, and it'll be a great shame, because the reason that we support football teams is the players. I've never heard anyone say, I'm oh, a massive Manchester United fan. You know why? The Glazers are oh, amazing. You know why? I, I, I'm a massive AC Milan fan. Why? Because of uh, Silvio Berlusconi. Well, what are you talking about, man? The, the players are what make the team and and the fans as well and that's why we always talk about the match day experience and active support really needs to be there because you know the atmosphere I is why we go.
5: I love
0: your club because of the geographical attachments as well and that's why Western Sydney was such an incredible franchise from the outset because there was such a rich tapestry of football supporters living there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that, that's that's very important. But yeah, you, you look at we when uh, Popovich did go to Perth. I remember us thinking, geez, that's a bit of a strange move—a a Greek team that's going to be relegated to the second division. And now you look at it and you go, that
0: makes sense
1: got out at the right time got out at the right time because imagine having to put out this fire imagine having to sign players when everyone stood down I think it's dust. and listen we've been having Perth a lot lately but you know Shoresby said that for example other clubs have stood players down Western United have stood players down meanwhile they're announcing that they're building a new training facility which again this also tarnishes good news because in theory that's a great news okay there's like a 10 million uh, training facility that's going to be right next to the stadium and councils involved and they're giving them money fantastic that should be a good announcement but when the players aren't getting paid i mean what message does that say if if i was the players i'd be saying to the club well can i get a job as like a bricklayer or something because you're not paying me as a footballer so i'm going to need some cash so do you mind if i come help build this new training ground like it's it's just a joke and again it's australia and yes the economy has been hit but our economy has been hit a lot less Than other countries our economy relatively is doing quite well in the in the COVID situation relatively there's obviously been a contraction there are a lot of issues for sure and we're not saying and and I saw someone before said that they're still paying their membership fee I don't see membership fees being reduced I don't see ticket prices being reduced so Mm -hmm. to me that that's a big question so hold on so everyone has to pay the same amount except for the owners
0: Mm -hmm. doesn't make
1: a lot of sense to me
0: very good point how about this for a bit of a laugh because i tell you what this all this stuff going on with australian football and i've said it to you time and time again on the phone as we've been kind of going through the minutiae of all the politics and the and the issues and spot fires that we're having to put out with various club representatives and you know media managers etc it's just been really taxing emotionally mentally very draining to keep talking about the game in the country that we love so much, so negatively, but we're a reflection of what's going on with the media. That's our job. But A-League memes, thanks for the laugh, guys. We've got so much love for you. Let's face it, guys, A-League is dying on its last breath. I don't agree with that, but we're renaming ourselves to Married at First Sight memes. Don't jump down that rabbit hole yet, A-League memes, because once you go down there, there's no coming back from that. You want to destroy your reputation, change yourselves to Married at First Sight memes. Um, I want to move on to the next topic of conversation as well so i'm conscious of the time we could continue to go on all day you and i we should just have like a 24-hour program you know (laughs) in an hour bathroom and have lunch dinner breakfast all that kind of stuff but then you know we just keep it going all day Because with all the stuff going on in Australian football, I reckon that we could actually. Um, But um, this issue of the National Second Division. So last week I had the opportunity to catch up with um, AAFC Chairman Nick who's a top guy, um, raised a lot of points about, you know, the fact that they're ready to go and they're wanting progress to be made after they made the announcement last week that they've partnered up with 35-plus NPL clubs in order to really get this National Second Division going. Um, He raised some worrying things interview which addressed with him at the time in terms of, you know, the structure and, and the identity of what he wanted the, the National Second Division to look like. Um he wasn't necessarily in agreement with the fact that there should be age uh, restrictions imposed on the football clubs uh, because he thinks that naturally the setup and the environment will be conducive to that. It will allow for younger players to come in the league and not necessarily, you know, 28-year-old backpackers, as he said, um, or retired A-League players. But, you know, the issue that I had with that was that, you know, if you give clubs too much control, and we've seen what's happened in the A-League now, they'll do as they see fit. And going down the line, um, you know, when they do look to set up the the National Second Division, there will be what the white paper, which was issued last year in June, there will be what they called an incubation period. So for the clubs coming into that competition, they'll be protected for a period of five years before they decide, at the very least, five years before they decide to introduce promotion and relegation. So my issue with not putting on any age restrictions is that once you dangle that carrot of promotion and relegation in front of a club, they'll be doing everything they can at all costs to make sure that they make the jump to the top flight, right? So with that comes hiring whoever you like, recruiting players from overseas, recruiting ex-A-League players who perhaps didn't kick on and are still playing NPL um, across the country. So I think that that was something that certainly worried me, but also the timeline of things. Um, you know, they'd spoken a lot about the fact that they were formed uh, in 2017 in March and in October they released a, a starting position, that's what Nick Galatis referred to it as, which is a, a sort of a, a proposition and a model uh, which sort of outlined what a National Second Division could look like, but within that three years have they produced something tangible that that they could pour over effectively and present as a tangible model to football federation australia and say here's the work here's the research here's everything that we've done we're ready to go now it's on you no they haven't done that they're starting to do that now but the questions i raised in the blog were: why has it why has it taken us this long to arrive at this point stolich
1: well, because clearly, uh, incompetence and a lack of vision, like, you know, let's just say what it is. I don't understand why it takes so long. Like we always say, the second divisions all over the world. And we can't do it. Why? I'm not saying that you have to have the perfect solution. I would just like to have, you know, multiple options presented. You know, you can have a national second division. You can also have a regional uh, second division, which has been talked about. So, you know, let's say for the first kind of four months of the year, you just did it in the States and then the best, let's say two or three teams from each state would then play each other in a tournament you could do it like that 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 lowers travel costs for example mm. i think it's 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 crazy to me that they've had all this time by the way they've been together what three years or something we are saying but they've been this has been open a lot longer than this you know been, these clubs have been around since before the A-League. To me, as soon as the A-League started, they should have been pushing for a second division. They should have been pushing to be a part of this league. And, and that's the other thing. You create a national second division and then for five years, there's no promotion or relegation. Uh, to me, that, that's ridiculous. There's no point. The point is to have promotion, to have that carrot. And, you know, that, that I don't want a, a second division to be... A youth development league I think there should just be natural youth development happening and I think the incentive of youth development should be selling players that should be the financial incentive is that you know and I give Portugal as another example clubs there traditionally their squads are younger because they're looking at it like we can you know if I have a 19 year old winger or I have a 29-year-old winger. And maybe the 29-year-old winger is really good, but that 19-year-old winger, actually, I can sell for a lot more. So I'm going to choose him. We're going to sign him because we can make the money off him. That's what the things should be. But this is why I never take them serious about the money thing because the best way to make money in football when you're a country like Australia is to sell players. And, uh, you know, you look at uh, Western Sydney Wanderers. To be fair to them, they've created a really good academy. They've set everything up. And then Paul Letterer, you know, if I was him, I'd be saying, okay, that's great, we've got the academy. But why aren't those players coming through at Western Sydney and why aren't they going on to Europe? Because we see them coming through at other clubs. I believe uh, Sammy Silvera, who has just gone to Portugal from the Mariners, was originally at Western Sydney. I think uh, Rami Najerin, who's at Melbourne City, originally at Western Sydney. They're in the best catchment in Australia. They should be developing a player every single year that they can sell to Europe for $1 million, $2 million, $5 million. You know, and they're not doing that. So that to me is the, a big issue. I think it's, it, they need to get a move on with this national second division. It's too long to wait. It, they keep pushing it back. They're never going to find the perfect solution. Like we said, you need to go and promotion relegation, in my opinion, needs to be there at least absolute minimum second season. I would like to see it from the first season. I think that that, that, that is the key thing, but I'm not, I'm honestly not going to be emotionally invested in a national second division that doesn't have promotion and relegation. To me, that's not very interesting. I don't wanna to go to games, but if there's promotion and relegation, then I am gonna be invested. I'm gonna be keeping an eye on it. I'm gonna be watching games. I'm gonna be attending games. And I, I, would, I wonder if people are the same. let us know in the comments.
0: Yeah, we'd love to know um, some commentary around it and some feedback on what everyone thinks should be happening with the National Second Division. I know that obviously, you know, we've been thrust into a very unfavourable situation, though, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, which has sort of hamstrung a lot of everyone's abilities who are involved on the National um, Second Division Steering Committee to to make any real progress with it. but. This steering committee was developed, um, uh, I believe it was early 2018, 2019. Um, 2019, I'm pretty sure. I'm having a bit of a brain. So i have to go back in article that I wrote about it, but they've had effectively, yeah, it was early 2019. They've had effectively 12 months before COVID hit to make traction on this. Now it depends on who you speak to, right? And and, and and with respect to this I'm talking about Football Federation Australia because they ultimately have the final say in all of this. I respect everything that Nicolaitis and the and the NPL the, the clubs are doing in terms of trying to work hard to conduct their own research and, and to put together a model that they can present to Football Federation Australia. But that didn't wash well with James Johnson, right? The FFA CEO, because he came out off the back of that, off the back of the AAFC's comments and said, well, that's great. We all want to work to, you know, collaboratively and in unison, but ultimately, Everything from the composition of the structure of the the competition, it all falls with FFA. They have the final say. So I'm not at all frustrated with AAFC. They can say what they like. They've said they're ready to go, but then they've still got to go and do all of this work. They've had a bunch of meetings. They're going to go and develop their own models. But ultimately, that's not who my issue is. It's actually with Football Federation Australia who are being paid, right? So a lot of these guys in the AAFC... Nicolatus, for example, he's a lawyer. He's got his own livelihood and his own career outside of this. He's investing in this as part of his love for the game. But my issue is if you aren't being paid, right, if you sit on Football Federation Australia's board and you're going to come out and champion the fact that you're developing a national steering committee for the national second division, right, that responsibility falls with you. Now, beyond the white paper that they produced in 2019, I can tell you I've spoken to people that are close to the project and they've said nothing has actually been done beyond that. They wanted to at the beginning of the year, my understanding is, send out expressions of interest in that period, right? But then COVID hit. But then my response to that is, how difficult could it have been within that 12-month period to start contacting, at the very least, top MPL clubs and finding out, okay, what's your what are, what are your financial circumstances like? We're floating the idea of a national second division around. We'd love to know if you feel that you're in a position viable enough to be able to come in for that, right? Twelve months to develop a paper. Twelve months to even start reaching out to MPL clubs. I mean, I contacted an MPL club president and I said, "Have you heard anything from FFA? Have they reached out to you to have conversations about a national second division?" They said, "No, we haven't heard anything. We've punched our own numbers. We know what we're capable of, but we we haven't heard anything from them to even have the conversation." That to me is mind boggling. Why it a journalist? go out and make those phone conversations and, 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 and make those inroads, but then other people can't, who are being paid to do that. That is the stuff that's driving me crazy. And for people that have been saying that I've been too hard on FFA, that I've been going hard, especially the last few weeks, you know what? It's time to start actually going hard. Why? Because we're so sick of Australian football making the same repetitive mistakes time and time again and getting nowhere. Right? When they issued that whole of football plan in 2015, here's a fact that will scare the shit out of you. Not one mention of the national second division was in this 20 year whole of football plan. How can how can that even be possible in this day and age? So this is the stuff that we're dealing with. It's time for us to stop talking and to start actually producing some action. So until that starts to happen, we're going to be increasingly frustrated as a football fraternity. We're going to continue to demand answers because we deserve them, because all we've been sold is promises and grand plans and visions for the game. That's, that, that That time is over now. We've had enough of being sold this stuff from snake oil merchants time and time again who've failed to deliver on their promises, right? So when it comes to the National Second Division, and I said it in my article, at the end of the day, I'm not going to hold my breath. I wish them all the very best. I know that the pandemic has thrown a massive spanner in the works, but the timeline on this, I, I can't, I don't know that I could successfully see this happening in the next at least three five years. I don't know, Stolich. I don't know if I, I can yeah
1: and and this is the thing and you say you know these you're tired of these visions in my opinion they we haven't heard enough of the visions there seems to be a lack of vision there seems like there's a lot of people in australian football and i'm talking about people who are who are working in it day to day who seem like they're waiting for someone else to do it there's all this kind of thing of like oh and we have this kind of almost savior complex that was this whole thing when james johnson came in oh he'll just fix everything it's impossible that he's going to fix everything. Where is the vision? I think if, if for me, if I was uh, the second division clubs, I'd be saying this is exactly how we want to do our second division. Blah blah. blah. The, you know, these are three options that we could do it. When we we think any of these options can work, this is our preference. Blah, blah. Why don't you come out and say that? Not here. We might come up with a blueprint in in twelve months' time, and and maybe no concrete solutions if i was also the pfa i would also be coming out and saying i know and it's a very busy time for them but i would also be saying this is how we think a second division could work you know ffa i think the same thing
0: they're on they're on the, the pfa so you've got um, this collection of people on this steering committee you've got the pfa you've got the ffa you've got the aafc and you've got the member feds right yeah. so you've got a wide range of people who've all been tasked from different obviously positions within the game um, who've all been tasked with the you know with the opportunity to to bring something to the table here on the national second division but again Ultimately, as James Johnson said, all of it falls and rests with FFA. So AAFP can go out and do all the work that they like and present something which Nicolata said they want to present an irresistible case, and I hope that they do, um, that effectively forces FFA into a situation where they can't say no, but they still can. They still can turn around and say, well, no, we don't agree with that. Um, you know, we'd prefer to move in our own direction. So that that's the stuff that concerns me um, is that, you know, ultimately all the power rests with them.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and this is one thing I want to say is that we need the A-League players need, or the A-League clubs need to stop thinking as, as they're isolated from the second division and vice versa. The A-League needs the second division to survive long term and the second division obviously needs the A-League to survive long term. So they should be working together, not antagonizing each other and and then oh no these guys are just going to screw it up for us and all that kind of stuff they should be working together because that's the only way that both will survive and thrive long term Mm,
0: couldn't agree more let's um move on to the next topic of conversation um some Aussies abroad stuff Stolich tell us what's happening with a few of our Aussies overseas
1: Yep, so it was uh, relatively good news this morning. AY Mobile in the Champions League, uh, his team at Michelin, got a nil-all draw with Slavia Prague away. So they go back to their home ground. Obviously, home advantage isn't obviously what it was before COVID, because of no fans in the stadium, but they are a very good chance uh, to qualify for the group stage, which would be huge for A. Mobile. He's playing regularly. He played the ninety minutes this morning. He had a pretty decent chance to score. He created um, a good chance. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's fantastic. But anyway, it, they're doing really well. Um, Apostolos Giannou. He's joined a new team. He's joined Greek club OFI Crete, uh, which is good for him. Uh, Martin Boyle is playing really well in Scotland. Um, I think. He bagged two assists the other day. Then he scored lots of goals. Nikita Rukovica keeps scoring. I think he scored five goals, six goals or something in two games, three games. He's absolutely been killing it, scoring in the league, scoring in the Europa League, uh, getting assists as well. Absolutely fantastic this season. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, as Michael Long is saying, uh, Matty Ryan, another clean sheet against Newcastle. I think barely had to make a save or something, but he's doing well. So there is some positive stories uh, coming out there. I think um, the other one that I was really happy with is Matthew Lecky got an assist uh, for Hertha Berlin, and I was worried that he wasn't really going to get Any game time at all, he barely played last season. We thought he was probably going to have to leave, but the fact that um, you know he is getting an assist and getting some game time off the bench is a good sign. Uh, There's also talk that uh, Hrustic could be uh, leaving Groningen and going to Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, They've been uh, in; they've offered. I think they've made two offers. They've both been rejected so far. But it'd be great to see him in the Bundesliga um, Mm -hmm. and playing at a high level.
0: Eintracht, a big club too, so that would be massive. Uh, Michael Long with another one. Michael Long, big shout-out to you, our friend. You're one of our top fans here at the World Game. We love having your company every week, as do we all of our regular fans that we've seen tuning in. Great to see you guys on this Wednesday, the 23rd of September. Aaron Moy scored on his debut for Shanghai SIPG. Yes, a fantastic um, debut for him. And will be would be good to see him getting regular game time and, um, and, and featuring really well because he's one of our brightest soccer in Stolich
1: yeah, absolutely, and and the other one that we have to mention as well is Daniel Arzani played for Utrecht. He made his debut in the Eredivisie. Um, he came off the uh came off the bench. Um, but yeah, he was uh he was really good. That was the kind of encouraging thing that he had still had that ability to go past players. That he still had that ability to kind of create chances, and and he was also
0: full d- d- The razzle dazzle because we love
1: it for. It'd been a while since he played, right? So I was worried that he'd lost that speed, that he'd lost that agility. He hasn't. He was also taking free kicks, which is a good sign. It shows that the team is confident in him, that they're letting him kind of take on responsibility. So hopefully, hopefully we see a lot more from uh, Daniel Arzani, who still remains currently my favourite Australian player.
0: Oh, your favourite, really? Yeah, Yeah. that's fair Exciting. I could agree because there's just so much to be excited about when he gets on the ball. He he causes so many problems for defenders. He's got that razzle-dazzle that we love, that bit of creativity and flair. Um, He's such a bright prospect for us going forward. So we hope that his body can stay in good nick, because we know that he had some real issues with injury, of course, and recovering from that injury as well. It took a lot longer than expected and Graham Arnold came out in the press and and confirmed as much at the time. So we wish him all the very best going forward. What about in Europe, Stollage? It's nice to see some regular football being played. Of course, the Premier League um, resumed a couple of weeks ago. We're into round two. Uh, off the back of that, I think there have been a lot of discussions around obviously Chelsea and um, mm. their performance against Liverpool. Uh, and I'm not just mentioning that because I am a Liverpool fan, but I want to talk about it more with respect to, and by the way, Tiago, what an absolute freak, arrives on Friday, starts breaking records in the Premier League on Sunday morning, baby. Outstanding stuff from Thiago Alcantara. I've always been such a big fan of his, but it's been such a big coup um, for Klopp and Co to snag him. Him because he's fit in seen with him and he's going to have so much to offer to this great team. But Chelsea spent $200 million in the off-season, a lot of uh, talk around their performance. Uh, Lampard came out off the back of it and said, look, it's too early to judge. We still think that we're going to be competitive for the title. But, you know, Ziyech didn't play. There's got a couple of players coming back from injury and, and trying to get into Goodnick as well. I thought Timo Werner looked a little bit rusty, but you can see that he's going to be a massive handful going forward. What did you make of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, they obviously need to replace Kepa. Kepa is a liability for them at the back there. And he, he, even when he is not making mistakes, he makes the defence so nervous and and so uncertain. And what you want is your defence to be confident. And so I think Kepa is an absolute disaster. I believe they've brought in Mendy. I don't know if that's official yet. There's a lot of talk that they'll bring in uh, Mendy, a goalkeeper from France. Hopefully he'll be an improvement. But I also
0: reports have been different about it. They're saying that they're closing in on the deal. Um, Lampard apparently confirmed a medical. This is just a couple of hours ago that we're seeing this information come through. So if he's on his way for a medical, it seems as though that's going to be a done deal. And Kepa is going to be off to the bench with the number two.
1: Listen, I don't even know why they pretend these medicals. If Gareth Bale can pass a medical at Tottenham, any player can pass a medical anywhere in the world.
0: I love Bale coming across because that's a massive talking point, right? I think, to be honest, I think this Spurs squad, they've actually signed some pretty decent players, right? And this Spurs squad, particularly when you consider the front three of Son, Kane and Bale, holy jeepers, they're going to be a force, don't you think?
1: No, because Mourinho (laughs) is still there and I I think he's finished it as a coach. I mean, I watched them, by the way, they did very well against Southampton's suicidally high line and Son scored four goals and Kane got four assists. And actually it was nice to see Kane get four assists because I think his uh, creating ability is a bit underrated. He does actually create chances for his teammates, um, especially he's obviously got a very good relationship with Son, which is great. But I've been watching that Tottenham documentary, but they're a rebel. Mourinho's got them all in fighting with each other. His ego's out of control. I think – and also Bale, I'm telling you, Bale's going to score – five goals, four assists,
0: uh, no, he's, he's no, going to no.
1: get injured, he's going to spend more time on the golf course. No, I, no, no I,
0: I, agree. I don't think that's going to be good. I think he's going to set the stage on fire. He's got a point to prove. He's coming out of Madrid pretty pissed off. You heard it here first. I think that Bale is going to do really, really well. But, look, we're happy to disagree, you and I, Stolich. That's the whole point of football. We do it um, respectfully enough that we know that we could hold I love it. it. We can hold each other to it later on down the track when you're probably telling me, Lucy, I've told you so. But, look, I'm going to back him in this situation. I'm definitely going to back him. Um, uh, and also nice to see that uh, the great uh, Pilor is doing very well in his appointment with you all there. Two games and three points each.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did very well. I think Cristiano Ronaldo had about 300 shots that game, but he eventually got his goal, the third goal. Uh, no, Uve looked good. I mean, listen, if it's too early to judge Lampard, which I think there are big question marks over Lampard. It is very early to judge Peeler. We don't know. He looks very good on the sideline. He's looking suave in his suit. But, you know, Juve looked very good. They were creating a lot of chances. So they impressed me uh, more than I thought. I'll tell you who hasn't impressed me, though. Is, did you see this story, Luis? Luis Suarez has been basically caught cheating on his Italian exam. This man, I swear to you, this man, for everything I know about Luis Suarez, he would cheat on everything except his wife. He <laughs> loves his wife. He loves his family more than anything.
0: Yeah, well, allegedly.
1: <laughs> yeah but th- but that's that's he will cheat on it. This is the guy who once appealed for a handball because the keeper saved it. I mean this guy knows no bounds. So Luis hey. Suarez
0: Somebody to score a goal, for goodness sake. There's no greater desperation than that. I mean, the hunger that he's got in him, pardon the pun, it's just through the roof. But he's cheated on his Italian test. But I have to ask you, uh, as a Barca fan, of course, our resident Barca apologist, the news, of course, that Suarez is trying to make an exit for Atletico uh, and that now Barca's trying to scupper the deal. What are your thoughts and reactions to that? I think
1: don't treat him like crap for the last three months. Call him via phone to say, we don't even need you for the rest of the season. You know, you're you're not used to us. This is the third highest goal scorer in the history of Barcelona, right? This guy, I'm not saying he is at his peak or he is, you know, where he once was. But he can still play a vital role, and you should be t- talking to him and encouraging him and saying, "Lewis, you know we really love you, but you do have to play a reduced role. You do not have the fitness and speed that you once has. He, he knows that, but they've treated him so poorly that you know he, he's gonna, he's gonna, they're gonna pay him to go join Atleti, all right, One of you, your second biggest rival for the league. To me, it's an absolute disaster. Barcelona is an absolute disaster. I, I'm already wanting Kuman to be fired. The the season hasn't even started for Barca yet. It's going to be an absolute disaster until this president is gone and luckily they did get the signatures so that process is starting to happen. Hopefully he he probably goes. But yeah, Kuman and I don't know, people might have seen this um, story from a few years ago. I think it was uh, Nias uh, at Everton. He he explained that when he was at Everton and Kuman was there, Kuman wouldn't let him have a locker in the change room, wouldn't let him sit with the other first team players um, at, at lunch, made him train on his own, made him train with the under 21s. He had to sit with the under 21s. You know, it's it just that's an incredibly poor way to treat another human being, never mind your player who you're meant to motivate and, and the other members of the squad as well. So, Kuman's going to be an absolute disaster. Uh, Suarez is cheating on tests. Uh, it's an absolute nightmare for Barca. Messi's doing interviews in his thongs where he's, you know, smashing the club. It, it's a disaster. The only hope I have is Real Madrid look pretty crap this year as well. They got a nil all with uh, Real Sociedad. So hopefully we can still be competitive. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really bad. But I want to ask you a question. Yes. This is this is the debate I was having. Is Thiago the biggest superstar Liverpool have ever signed and the reason I ask that is because if you think about all the players that Liverpool have signed let's say the past 20-30 years they weren't as big a star as Thiago is right now so Luis Suarez for example came from Ajax no way he was as big a star as Thiago is right now Virgil van Dijk Not as big a star as as Thiago. Thiago was the starting centre midfielder in a Champions League winning team. When has Liverpool ever signed a player of this quality? I would still say at the peak of his powers. To me, this is the biggest signing they've ever done and one of the smartest signings they've ever done. That's a... Yeah because now you think about it and let us know in the comments let us know people are saying Fernando Torres I see Michael on Fernando Torres Fernando Torres was at Atletico Madrid this was in the days when Atletico Madrid were coming 10th 11th 12th he was scoring some good goals but he was more a young potential striker doing really well Tiago starting center mid on a team that just won the treble Javi Alonso Again, it was a very good player, but he was at Real Sociedad when they signed him. He was, uh, I think, they were fourth in the league.
0: Also, uh, in that period, went to Eibar on loan or something. Yeah, yeah. So, maybe, look, maybe you're right. I mean, I'm starting to think we've had so many, you know, prolific players, but they became prolific players, which you could argue, uh, you know, Liverpool has had a great track record, particularly in the last couple of years of doing. They've turned. Yeah. Unknown kind of you know good decent players into superstar, and that's what Coppers managed to do. And that's why he was able Muhammad to that. perfect example of rejected by Chelsea, went off to Roma, came over to Liverpool, and look at what he's managed to achieve. I mean, yeah, Sadio Mane, another perfect example as well. Um, you know, he's become a massive star, Bobby Firmino. Um, you know the the list goes on, but you've got a good argument there. I'll have to walk away and have a, a bit more of a think about it. But there are, you know, the, you could be. Look, the fact is, you could be bloody right, Stolich, and I'm happy to agree with that. Yeah, James Milner. Do you know that, Foz, I've got these great stories. We look to wrap up the show. On air, we were doing a Liverpool game. It was so early in the morning. But I think that James Milner had attempted some kind of really tricky bit of play uh, on the field. And Foz, as we were watching, goes, oh, look at him, James Milner. And then on air, on air, actually called him James Milner. And we were cracking up. It was unreal. And then from that day forward, he just stayed as James Milner. So I sometimes have to really struggle to, you know, correctly pronounce his name as James. But what a player anyway. What a servant. Endo the same. Um, What about
1: James Rodriguez? There's What what a player.
0: Rodriguez, what a player. So there were a lot of doubts about, and I know we have to wrap up the show, but my God, we could just keep going, could we? But I know that a lot of people, and myself included, I questioned whether or not he was going to be able to set the world alight on a consistent basis, because we all saw what he did um, for Colombia at the 2014 World Cup. It was absolutely amazing, a phenomenal footballer. But then from there, were we able to see him really reach the heights that we expected him to? Eh, not really, I'm going to say. So in this instance, I think he He's been a revelation in the Premier League and such a great signing for Everton on the money that they got him for too.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And you know what? Sometimes it's not only, you know, we talk about can he do it in England. Well, it's also can he do it in the right environment? And Carlo Ancelotti knows how to build the right environment for those type of players. Carlo Ancelotti knows how to get the best out of superstars, like he did at AC Milan all those years, like he did at PSG, like he even did at Real Madrid. So I, I think uh, Carlo Ancelotti has built a really good team in Everton. I really like Everton this season. Dominic Calvert Lewin looks a great striker up front. Richarlison's yeah. very exciting. Uh, Andre Gomes in midfield, very good. Look at Dean coming up f- from the wing back. You know, they look they look solid across the thing but james rodriguez is killing it. and please can we put to rest this whole thing of oh well yeah can he do it in the premier league you know even it annoyed me when they were talking about messy would maybe come to me
0: you have a little bit of doubt maybe just a fraction and i'm not saying it had to be tangible just even the thought entering your mind maybe
1: Well, to me it's not about can you do it in the premier league and you can do it somewhere else. You can't do it in the Premier. It's not that different. It's just the the right environment. You know, there are there are players who are amazing in the Premier League, and they go overseas and they stink it up. All right. So it can work work vice versa. It is a it is a hard transition to make when you go to another country when you don't speak the language. Although, can I say one thing uh, on James Rodriguez? Uh, I saw James Dodd, who I think, works at Fox Sports. He sent me a thing on Twitter saying, "Just wait till it gets to real winter." Right. When it gets to, you know, December and January, then we can judge whether James can do it, which, you know, is not a bad point from a guy from I think he's from the north of Colombia, right near the water. So it's quite warm there. Um, but also the other thing that a Spanish friend of mine said, he goes, just wait till him and Yeri Mina find the right nightclub to start partying at every night. Then we're going to start to see the decline. So
0: Oh, guys, I've got a, um, a bit of breaking news and no uh, big thanks to um, Matthew and Papas. Guys, Sage has put up another stupid statement and I've just pulled it up here via the Canberra Times. The journalist is Justin Chadwick. Perth-Gloria and Tony Sage has hit back at Professional Footballers Australia saying they are becoming irrelevant and won't have a leg to stand on if they try to sue him. The PFA slammed Sage for his decision to stand down his entire squad after the clubs and players' union couldn't agree to a new pay deal. Um, some quotes from Sage. Let's pull them up as I'm spinning through this article. I'm not breaking contracts, he says. All I'm doing is invoking the Fair Work Act under COVID, Sage told AAP. We've lost more than 70% of our income, so legally they, the PFA, have got no leg to stand on. Yes, it seems as though this is going to continue to get uglier when it comes to the Tony Sage side of things, but what I will tell you is that, you know, we've already had our rant about Tony, but he's certainly bringing the, of the ownership group down with him in this fight because it's not a good look for the collective group. They, of course, we know wanted power. We know they wanted all the all over the A-League. They're supposed to be working together and they're doing exactly what we feared, which is going rogue and doing as they please. Watch this space. But I've said it already, Tony Sage, you've got to think about handing back your licence or selling the club to someone that's going to treat it with the respect that it deserves. Um, Stolidge, anything else to add before we wrap up?
1: Uh, no, that's that's crazy. But to me, also, he's invoking the, oh, the fair work under COVID, blah, But the fair work... This is football. It's a bit different because, in you know, in our jobs, for example, let's say if I want to go sign, I don't know, with ESPN over in in Spain or something like that, or in England, I can just I just tell SBS two weeks' notice, guys, I'm leaving. You know, it's all fine. ESPN doesn't have to pay SBS to get me out of a contract or anything like this. So he's saying, oh yeah, I can stand down the players. Well, then by that same token, the players can leave and say, you know what, screw you, we don't want to play for you anymore. It's a disaster. And they're still in the Asian Champions League. I mean, are they even going to fill the team? It's uh, I don't know. It's To me, to me, it's crazy. And it also just shows that I would prefer Tony Sage to come out and say, this is what I want to do with the club. This is what I want to take it forward. This is how we're going to do it. Unfortunately, yes, players have to take cuts, and I understand they've taken cuts in the past, you know, but let's build this together. And like I think uh, Nicholas Rapolo was saying, I'm willing to give them some revenue thing, give them some incentive. I'm willing to... M- to let them go uh, for no, you know, buyout fee if if they want to leave. If they do get better offers overseas, I'm, I'm willing to make concessions as well. That's what I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing people making threats and not willing to make concessions.
0: Couldn't agree more, Stolich. Very well said, guys. We've had a massive show and quite possibly might be one of our biggest shows. But closing in on the uh, two-hour mark shortly. We just love chatting football. We love being here with you guys and engaging. I know there's been so much to get through. Of course, the first half of the program was a pretty serious um, one because we're getting through all of the collective bargaining agreement discussions uh, with co-chief executives Bo Bush and Kate Gill, as well as having the pleasure of players like W League star Raleigh Dobson and Perth Glory Play. Player, Liam Reddy. So our thanks to them. Um, if you did miss out on that first half of the show, of course, you can stream it later on on demand after the fact so you can catch that. Some really good conversations and great to hear from the players as well who are going through this situation right now. Um, Mike Long, thanks, guys. Great it's great to have your company. That's on third time. Another one of our regular fans, Santino Mamone. Hello to you, our friend. I saw earlier you saying your mental health isn't doing that well because the, the Melbourne weather isn't that great, mate. I'm, I'm really sad to hear that, but I want you to know we're always here with you every Wednesday. We love chatting with you. You're one of our other top fans here on the World Game Live and we always welcome you back with open arms and you'll always have a place here with us. And that goes for everybody tuning in. It's been great to have your company. We love chatting with you. For a lot of the stories that we have discussed, I'm sure we'll see this Perth situation unfold as the days come out. But make sure that you head to the World Game website. That is your one-stop shop for all things football-related, both in Australia and abroad. We've got plenty more to come for you next week, but on behalf of myself, Stolich, and the entire team at the World Game, it's wherever you are, stay safe. We love your company. But for now, it's goodbye. Ciao. And happy birthday to Harry Kew. Uh, yeah, happy out, birthday, to Harry Cuel. That's right, Michael. Long, give Harry Cuel a belated birthday shout out, guys. Nick is wearing his t-shirt from Football Cult. Fabulous stuff. Thanks, guys. See you.